Amen, amen. Thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning. I'm Connie, I appreciate you leading us in that last song. And it's good to have Powers back this morning. Powers, Brandon was so ugly last week. He said he hoped that you stayed in a four-hour line while you were down in Disney. When he said that, I couldn't believe that that would come out of Brandon's mouth. But We're glad that you're here today. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter number 6. Joshua chapter number 6. We are pressing through the book of Joshua chapter by chapter. And uh, I may take off the book of Joshua next week. I have not decided yet, being Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be a wonderful Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, as we enter into uh, Holy Week and uh, join brothers and sisters around the world as we begin to focus on uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus next week. And so uh, I love Holy Week. We are, um, after church next Sunday, we're going to have an we're going to have an Easter egg hunt, and uh, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt uh, right after church, a church-wide fellowship, uh, as we uh, walk outside of the doors, and uh, we'll have uh, food for you guys, and just an opportunity to hang out right after, right after the morning service. If you don't have children and you want to hang out with us, that's perfectly fine, too. And we'll provide lunch. We're, we're going to have uh, barbecue sandwiches and uh, wrapped and ready to go and uh, canned drinks and uh, potato chips and chicken fingers for children that don't like barbecue sandwiches. And we're going to have a good time. About 1 o'clock, we're going to start the egg hunt for the children. And there will be a preschool area set up for our preschoolers and for kindergarten through fifth grade. Miss Rhonda will have some instructions next week for you guys and uh, for your children. We're going to have a great time right after church next Sunday morning. So it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Just want to invite you, even if you don't have children, to come and hang out with us and be, be a part of the day and fellowship with your church family afterward. I think that's one of the wonderful things that we've had about small groups. It's been the opportunity to fellowship with one another. And so we're going to do that tonight. We finish small groups tonight, and uh, we're going to fellowship with one another uh, after we learn about the Lord in our small groups. It's uh, starting at 6 o'clock. You'll meet with your small group, and then we're going to have finger foods tonight. And so uh, you want to bring something with you to eat and munch on, that'd be great. So having said that, Joshua chapter number 6, and uh, we're walking through the book of Joshua. If you're new here, uh, this is the book that we're in right now, and uh, learning what the Word of God has to speak to us. The book of Joshua is a snapshot, a picture of a specific time in the life of God's people, when God ushers in a new generation, a really a, a second generation Israelite, a new generation of Hebrews, of people who believed the promises of God. A promised people for a promised land. We've seen God replace a cherished leader when Moses dies. He raises up Joshua, right? We've seen God dry up the riverbank or the river, the Jordan River, and the people of God walked across on dry land. We've seen men build uh, stones of remembrance, two altars really, to the Lord there. In the book of Joshua, I think it's chapter number four, they, they cross over 
on dry ground. They build an altar of remembrance for their children to remember the wonderful work that God had done. We've seen men obey God's command last week in Joshua 5 when God tells them to renew the covenant, which they had forgotten. A generation that died off, they wandered for 40 years. They didn't renew the covenant with their children of circumcision. And so we talked about that last week. I really hope that last week's sermon or last week's topic brought about some good discussion at the lunchtime table last week. And so we looked at that, how God marks his people. God still does that. He, he cuts his people Uh, On the inside, he cuts our hearts, and so that's what that spoke to, and they renewed their covenant with the Lord there before they, now in Joshua chapter 6, face the first city of Jericho. What is God doing? What is God doing in this time? Well, it's the same thing that he's doing today. He's pressing his kingdom forward, and he's doing that in the land, and in the lives of his people. His people are being added to. We see the grace of the Lord in in this land in the sense that Rahab, and we'll find out in chapter 6, her whole family, anyone that wanted to come with her and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord did not turn away, and he spared Uh, But at the same time, and we've dealt with this because it's it's something that you wrestle with. I wrestle with it when I read the book of Joshua. They're going to go into the city. The walls come down in chapter 6. They go in. They devote everything to the Lord. And then they spare nothing in killing. Everyone in the city dies that did not turn to the Lord. And we dealt with that. I wrestle with that. Powers just read a scripture about... All the works of the Lord being good. How do you you reconcile that together? Well, God judges sin. According to the book of Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham that that judgment on the Canaanites was coming. God judges his own people in their sin as well. So God is, is, uh, is just, he's right in all that he does. I don't understand it, but I do trust it. I do, understand, I do trust the fact that our God is a righteous, just judge. And so God is administering judgment in the land. He's using his people to do that on this occasion. But God is pressing into the land. And out of this, you've got to think about it now, out of this promised land, Jesus will come. And so God is setting up for Christ to come. What is God doing today? God is doing the same thing today. He is pressing his kingdom forward for the return of his son. Not the first coming, but the second coming. And he's winning the hearts of men and women and boys and girls all over the planet and setting up the return of Jesus. He is pressing his kingdom forward. And I am willing to say today, based on the authority of God's word, whatever situation you find yourself in today, I don't care how bleak it looks. I don't care how bad your situation appears. I don't care how how ugly life is. And life gets ugly in all of our lives and in all of our families. I don't care where you are today. God is using everything to press his kingdom forward. That's That's what the New Testament teaches. 
He's using your situations in your life. And he's using everything as far as the mission is concerned, to win the souls of men and women. His kingdom is not taken by political force. It's not taken by military might. Jesus says the kingdom is in you. It's inside of us. It's within his people. And it's filled with righteousness, peace, and joy, according to the New Testament. I believe the Lord is raising up another generation right now in our land to walk by faith in Him, to live in the promises of God, and to pursue uh, people where God has placed us. I believe that God is raising up this kingdom generation. It's here, it's here now. The kingdom is here, but not yet fully realized. It will be one day when Jesus shows up onto the scene. And until that time comes... We press the kingdom forward with our lives and how we live and how we think and how we love and how we minister. This is the calling of the believer today. Can I get an amen this morning? Let's look at what the scripture says in Joshua chapter number 6. Let's read just a little bit and we'll stop and we'll talk about it and we'll be done this morning. Look at Joshua chapter number 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out. And none came in. We found out in chapter 5 that their hearts melted at the stories of the Lord, at the gossip of the gospel. Their hearts melted. They were melted in fear. In chapter 6, we find out they shut themselves off in their walled city. And the Lord said to Joshua, verse number 2, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any go out any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. I would have had a hard time with that, by the way. I mean I surely probably would have just leaned over to Aaron and been like, Are we really doing this right now? What in the world? I'd have messed the whole thing up right there. Verse 11, so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord after the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did this for six days, this procession, 
walked around once. For six days they did that. Verse 15, on the seventh day. I don't know if this is the day of rest. I don't know if this is Saturday, the Passover for them. We don't know that. We don't know when this started. It's pretty interesting that it's on the seventh day, though. It's possible. This is the Sabbath. So what you're about to see is worship take place on the Sabbath, which I think is pretty interesting. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city at the same manner seven times. Now they did this for seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for, the destru- for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who hid the messenger and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So they're devoting the spoils of war. They're devoting this first city. This is the first fruits. They're devoting it to the Lord. Verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And the text stinks in verse 21 to me, but let's let it stink. Verse 21, and then they devoted all in the city to destruction to the Lord, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. And this was the first battle. Let's notice some things about it. The people of God face their first battle. We see this specifically all through the text we just read, but in verses 1 and 2 especially, that the city had shut themselves inside their walls. This is the first test. And as those Canaanite people feared the Lord, they did not turn to the Lord in faith except Rahab, her family, and anyone that wanted to be invited into her house. They turned to the Lord, but the rest of them sat in fear. And they walled themselves into this city, and the people of God faced their first battle with the walls of Jericho. It was a walled city. Some people say that these walls were, there were two walls. Some people say that, that, uh, uh, say that they were 15 feet high that the walls were large enough for chariots to drive around. There were two walls on a hillside, one wall toward the bottom, one wall toward a little bit higher up the hillside. And really, the commentators say that people lived between the walls. We see this with Rahab, don't we? The last time the spies saw this city particularly, they were scared the Israelites were. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28, they said that the people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and walled to heaven. Some people say that, that the towers on the wall were over 30, the lookout towers were over 30 feet high. 
And so the people of God, 40 years prior, were scared to death of Jericho. And now a new generation has risen that is walking by faith. And they come to the same walls. They come to the same walls. Oswald Chambers says that a lot of times in the Christian's life, he writes one of the greatest devotional books ever written, My Utmost for His Highest. Oswald Chambers writes in, his, in My Utmost for His Highest. He says a lot, of time, a, a lot of times a Christian will pass through a storm and the Lord is trying to teach him something in that storm. And a lot of times we as believers are so hard-headed that we will not learn in that storm. And so the storm comes and it goes, and we never learn what the Lord is trying to say to us in that storm. We never stop. We never say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me right now? We never slow down. We're so busy trying to get on the other side of this thing that we fail to learn what the Lord teaches us or wants to teach us. Oswald Chambers says, when we refuse to learn as a believer, the Lord will send another storm back into our life so that we have to learn that lesson again. Learn that valuable teaching again. The people of God have come to the walls again. And now will they obey and walk for seven days or will they refuse to obey and go wander for 40 years? It's a pretty interesting thought, isn't it? I think about this battle in verse 2. What's wonderful about this text is that the Lord promises victory before they ever even march. Verse 2 with me. The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you into your hand Jericho. I've given it over to you. Past tense. God is giving the victory before the battle really is even fought. And there's not even going to be a battle fought. They don't really even know that, that the walls are going to come down like this. And so... Joshua really is probably wondering, God, what does this even mean? I, I, you know, what are you going to do here? I don't know. And so the Lord is promising the victory. It's a wonderful thought that the people of God have been given victory before suiting up for battle. Watch this. Listen to me. They will fight from victory, not for victory. So the Lord says, I have given you this. Joshua has faith in this promise. You say, Mike, how can you be so sure that God is raising up a generation that loves him? Haven't you seen what the world looks like? Yes. But I also know that God is pressing his kingdom forward according to the New Testament. And so I put my Jesus-colored glasses on and I live in the promises of victory that God says that I should live in. We are believers who fight and live from victory, not for it. Jesus has won the battle. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Uh, the great preacher and martyr John Christosom, who died as an old man in a death march, he preached the gospel and they marched him to death in order for him to shut up. As an old man, he was banished in exile for calling out the establishment, the sins of the empire, the Roman empire, the, the, the empress and her family. He called out their sins. John Christensen says this, You are but a poor soldier of Christ 
if you think you can overcome without fighting and suppose that you can have the crown without conflict. Why is it such a shock when we face the walls of Jericho in our life? Why is that a shock to us? And if you're here today and you aren't facing the walls of Jericho, give it time. You will. They say you're either heading into a storm, in a storm, or headed out of a storm. Where are you in that picture? You say, well, I'm not in a storm right now. Well, the brother or sister who sits beside you very well may be. And I think that the gift of encouragement every Christian may have, but not every Christian uses. You can find somebody in your life, if you're not walking or battling the walls of Jericho, you can find somebody in your life who is and offer a word of encouragement. Even just a text that says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you and I'm praying for you, means the world to people who are walking in a storm that they have no power or control over. Give me a storm that I have control over. And I feel like I can manage it. But the ones where I feel like I'm in a panic and I'm filled with doubt are the ones that that my that my friends can't handle, that that I have no way of calming the the storm, I have no way of tearing these walls down. Those are the ones that drive me crazy. Are y'all like that? Why is it such a shock when we stand against the walls of Jericho? The world, the flesh, and the devil, according to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 1 through 3, are united against Jesus and united against his people, just as these nations are united against Joshua's day. As a believer, you are facing some sort of spiritual battle, whether you realize it or not. This world is not a playground. This is a battleground. And when we hit the floor on a Monday morning and we go to work and go to our jobs and go through the rat race wheel, the routine. I want you to hear me this morning. This is not a playground. It is a battleground. You are going to spiritual war every single day for the sake of the gospel. We fight from victory, not for it. And the Lord has promised you a land. A land to live in Jesus. Not sure what your situation looks like. There are tons of scenarios all around the house this morning, but the spiritual warfare is relatively similar. It's fighting pride within us. It's fighting for control and power and ego. It's fighting for self, right? It's fighting for my way. It's spiritual warfare fighting through addiction in our life, and everyone is addicted to something. And if you say, I'm not addicted to anything, you're probably addicted to pride then. It's a fighting within us, those things that we think will comfort us and draw we draw ourselves to, whether they're sports or whether they're traveling or whether they're uh, good things in our life. It's fighting those things that we think will comfort us but always seem to leave us empty. Addiction always leaves us so empty. It's fighting forgiveness issues. It's fighting anger and bitterness that we want to walk in. 
All of these things are spiritual warfare. We've used this scripture before, but according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, it compares these strongholds of things that we fight. Listen to this now. It compares these strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10 to fortified walled cities. Jericho's that set up in our mind against the things of God. Thought processes that we have against the things of God in our mind and they set up like walled cities. Oh, I could never forgive that person. Well, you, do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you love your neighbor? Absolutely. I love my neighbor. But do you love and forgive so-and-so? Oh, I never could do that. What is that? It's a fortified, walled city. I never could live without fill in the blank. Things that comfort us. This thing comforts me. I need more and more and more and more of it. Pick something. Things that are good, things that are bad. I need more and more and more and more and more of it. You know what I'm feeling right now as a, as a, as a dad? I've, I, I, I've never felt it as much as, I've, as I feel it right now in this time of my life. For my kids to succeed in things so that the community looks and goes, wow, look at that perfect family. Their kids succeed. You say, how is that a bad thing? I'll tell you how it's a bad thing. When I allow the things that they do become a God in my life because I want success for them so bad that I'm willing to sacrifice my relationship with God for my kids to succeed. Pick anything that your kid does. It can be a God in your life. Good things become walled cities in our hearts and in our minds. Bad things become walled cities and in our hearts and in our minds. Jericho's that set up. The Bible says that the only way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the only way that those walled cities are destroyed is through spiritual weapons. And the spiritual weapon that's used here in the text is faith. Now I want you to get this. We've got to move on in the text today. I want you to get this. There are times when the Lord's instructions seem illogical, strange. Did y'all catch this? Let's, let's put this on the screen, please. There are times where, where the Lord's instructions seem completely illogical and strange. Verses 3 through 7 tell us that the way they're going to win this battle is to walk silently like first graders with their fingers on their lips around the city. Hey, if you're asleep, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. How many teachers we got in here? Raise your hand. Do y'all tell your kids to do this? Some of y'all are high school teachers and you're telling, Ron, you tell your students to do this? Now let me tell you how Ron gets his students to quiet. He's done this with me and Powers like every time we're there. Me and Powers will show up. We'll walk in there. We want to talk to Ron. Ron is like in the class. He'll go, sit down. Shut up. Mike, what can we do for you today? That's what he does every time. It's fantastic. How many of y'all had Mr. Harris in high school and you remember him going, sit down and shut up? 
Sam would go, ooh, you said the S word. <laughs> hey, to win this battle, I want you to walk around the city one time a day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. The horns are going to play. They're going to blast. But on this particular day, when the horns blast, you haven't said a word for six days. And on the sixth, on the seventh day, on the seventh day when the horns blast, you've walked around for seven times. When the horns blast, I want you to take the finger off your mouth and shout and give God a voice of triumph and praise. I can only think text doesn't say it, but I can only think that when Joshua gave the, gave the instructions out to the people what they were supposed to do, that they went, come again? We're supposed to do what? We're going to war, and you want us to march around a city? It, it, it doesn't even say in the text that you're supposed to pray as you walk around the city, but I guarantee you, I, I know how I would have been. I would have been like, Lord, I, I'm scared to death. God, God, if you don't show up, if you don't show up, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what we're gonna do. God, God, I have children that I've left back in the camp. I got a wife that I've left back in the camp. Would you protect me? That, that's what I'm praying as I'm at least walking around. I don't know what I'm praying, but but I'm I'm probably praying in my heart and in my mind. But I, but I guarantee you, somebody's thinking, you want us to do what? Sometimes God's ways seem very strange and illogical on what He's doing in your life. Sometimes His instructions seem very strange. When Joshua comes back to the people, I wonder what they thought. If someone thought, we don't... This seems crazy. Don't miss this. Obedience will always appear strange to an unbelieving world. They don't get it. Walking with God is strange to those who don't walk with God. They'll never understand until they come into a relationship with God. Let me read you a quote right here from a wonderful little commentary on Joshua by Dale Davis. Listen to what Dale Davis says. He says, We cannot help noticing the strangeness of Yahweh's method. The chapter refers to the ark ten times, nine of which are in these verses. So the ark of the covenant becomes the main character of chapter 6. Not Joshua nor his people, but the ark is the main character. The people are not allowed to shout until given the signal. So this little section stresses how central Yahweh's presence is and how passive God's people are. Have you ever gotten to a place where you can do nothing but rely on the Lord? You ain't got enough money to bring a wall down. You ain't got enough power to bring a wall down. You don't know the right people to bring the wall down. You're literally in a place where the only way the walls of Jericho will fall is unless God shows up. Mm. 
If Israel only marches and shouts, there will be no doubt about who, battle, uh, who batters Jericho to the ground. God still functions this way. His normal pattern is to work through the instrumentality of his people. But since we have this tendency to obscure God's splendor and, and to steal his praise, he sometimes sets our contributions aside so that we and others can perceive that he is the only one that's doing the work. And so sometimes the Lord's instructions seem strange. Hey, Noah, go build a boat. Lord, it ain't ever even rained. Go build a boat. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't bow down. Lord, everybody else is. Don't bow. Hey, Abraham, get your family and go that way to a land I'll tell you about. Hey, Moses, leave the riches of Egypt and walk with my people. Over and over and over again. Hey, Ruth, move with a mother-in-law you barely know that you're not even bound to. Move. Go with her. Go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to do something incredible in your life. Jesus to the fishermen. Hey, you fished all night. You're tired. But if you want to catch some fish, throw your net on the other side. Leave everything and follow me. Strange instructions over and over and over again. And when God gives strange instructions, the question is, will we walk in faith? Those are the hardest times in our life when God gives strange instructions to walk in faith. Ninety years ago, there was a group who met in this community in a grocery store. And they wanted to see a move of God that lasted into generations to come. They met and they prayed and they asked God to form a church. They sold chickens off of their farms and timber off of their property in order to start Union Hill Baptist Church. That group had strange instructions to... To follow the Lord, sell your chickens and your timber. And they walked in faith. I remember being in high school, walking out my faith, trying to walk out my faith, appearing very strange to some of my friends at times. Even now, some of my own personal convictions seem strange, even to Christians at times. Have you ever been in a situation where someone thinks you're a weirdo? Even someone who thinks that, uh, even someone that would profess Christ, who thinks you're just weird for walking your faith out like that. Sawyer and Sam have already asked me and Aaron, Mama, Daddy, why don't we do this or why don't we go there? Why don't we say things like that? My faith makes my views as I follow the Word of God, makes my views seem strange people, particularly those that do not follow our God. What has the Lord called you to do lately that your lost friends don't understand? It? 
Just a question. If it's been a long time since someone looked strangely at you for your faith in Christ, just a question. Are you living it out? Let's look at one more thing and we'll be done. Lastly, look at who gets the glory and the credit. Verses 17 through 20. 17 through 20. Look at this right here. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord. And there were things that were set back for the Lord's treasury, and then there were things that were devoted to the Lord for slaughter, for destruction. So they were carrying this out. At the end of the day, what the Lord is doing here is the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you this city because the walls come crumbling, tumbling down flat, is what the Bible says. The Bible goes on to tell us that Rahab and those that were with her, they all lived, they all were, were, were given grace by the Lord. By the way, just like you are given grace, And so when the walls fall flat and the city is handed over, the people know that they have done nothing. And God is the one that gets the glory. This is going to wind up being a struggle for some folks in chapter 6 not to keep things back. We'll talk about that particular episode upcoming in chapter number 7. Somebody kept back some things that were devoted to the Lord, so it'll become a challenge. But the point is very clear that the Lord deserves all the honor and credit and glory for the victories in our life. You know, it becomes so easy for us to walk in battle in prayer, to head into the battle praying, to be in the battle praying. But is it difficult for you like it is me to remember to also give him praise after the battle? I mean, look at everything he's done for you. All the blessings he's given you. Look at how he takes care of you and takes care of your needs, provides for you. Look at all the times that he's pulled you through all the troubles, all the things you've walked through, all the things that you've prayed about. And God has rescued you every single time. And then look at how many times we've actually taken credit for those victories. There's a great missionary. I want to pull up a little quote that he has. There's a great missionary back in the day by the name of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor writes this. He says, there are three ways. We'll talk about this and we'll be done. There are three ways to serve the Lord, Hudson Taylor says. Three ways to plan. Here we go. Hudson Taylor says that we make the best plans we can and hope that they succeed. We make our own plans and ask God to bless them. Or the third one. We ask God for his plans and then do what he tells us to do. Now, I got to be honest. I have done number one and number two right here way more than I've done number three. And I have created more problems in my life of trying to make 
my plans and then, and then ask God to bless them like, like they're his plans. I've created more problems in my life doing that. But to ask God for his plans and then to walk in those plans. There's where the Christian lives. There's where the believer lives. When I was lost, I'm going to invite the guys to come forward and get us ready for an invitation time. When I was lost and I cared nothing for him and the walls of sin seemed too wide and too high for me to scale. The father gave his son some strange instructions. They were so strange and they were so difficult that the son prayed in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me. Y'all remember that? In fact, the instructions for the son seemed so difficult that it is when the son is on the cross that he feels the rejection of the Father and he quotes Psalm chapter 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, some of you feel like the Lord has forsaken you. The Lord hasn't forsook you. The Lord forsook his Son so that the Lord looks on you. You may not feel like the Lord is looking on you, but feelings will lead you astray every time. Let's go with what the Word of God says. The Lord knows exactly where you are, and he walks with his people. And Jesus is walking out some strange instructions. But the Bible says that because of the joy set before him, that the Son endured the cross, taking its shame, taking its embarrassment on our behalf. And the Bible says that a man named Joseph Arimathea let Jesus be buried in his borrowed tomb, or in a tomb that was borrowed, Jesus borrows a tomb from this man. Strange instructions, Joseph. Hey, Joseph, go let Jesus borrow your tomb. Then the Bible says that through these strange instructions, these illogical instructions that were handed off to the son, that the son walked in obedience, that Friday when he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost and he said, It is finished. The Bible says that early on a Sunday morning, some women found that the stone had been rolled away. That Jesus had arisen. And it's faith in the resurrection which destroys the walls of sin that are too high for any of us to climb. The resurrection of Jesus collapses walls. And it's why this morning we give all the credit and all the glory and all the honor to him. Tomorrow, I get to preach a sermon at a funeral for a mentor in my life. His name was Tim Forehand, and he died 55 years old. Many of you know his wife, Karen, who grew up in this community. Leaves behind his wife, his three children, 55 years old, died of a heart attack, pastoring a church down in South Alabama. The Lord brought this man into my life 
when I was a young teenager and I cared nothing about church and I cared nothing about the Lord. And Tim shows up in my life and visits my house with a deacon on a Sunday night. They walk down the driveway. I'll never forget it. I loved to play basketball in the driveway in those days and I was shooting basketball in the driveway and Tim and this deacon show up and they walk down the driveway and I knew what it was about and I remember in my mind going, oh my goodness, here comes the student pastor. And they carry on a conversation with me and Tim was not athletic at all. So there was no, hey, let's shoot some ball together, nothing like that. That's, that's kind of how I would have approached me in those days, nothing like that. Tim couldn't shoot a basketball, wasn't nothing like that. And they just invited me to church. And probably looking back, after the encouragement of my mom and dad to go to church on Wednesday, y'all know about that encouragement? I went, and the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart. Not at that moment, but it took some time, and I went, and I, I fell in love with a group of people there, and I fell in love with Tim Forehand, and I fell in love with the Lord. And I wonder, what would have been of my life if there would have been no Tim Forehand who discipled me, hung out with me, spent, I'm talking about tons and tons of time with me. Group of us. This man invested his life in teenagers. We did everything together. I wonder, what would have become of me and I stand here today behind a pulpit and I think about all the good things in my life. Connie, a couple of weeks ago, you sang about the goodness of God and I, and I think about that song and I think about the goodness of God and I think about all of the people that have invested in me and I go, and I stand back here and I go, I'm not here today, literally in this church, behind this pulpit, married to my wife, with my ch- I'm, not, I'm not anywhere I am today because I'm a self-made man. Here's the old school phrase. I'm not here because I got down and pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and I just toughened it out because I'm a man. No sir, no ma'am. I am here today solely because of the goodness of the Lord. That is it. I didn't weave these people into my life to disciple me and change me. God did that. Your walls will come down by faith and you will stand back in such a way to say I did nothing God you receive all the glory and the honor that's due you that's how the Lord works lean on him do not run from him do not buy into the lie that our God is not good that he's not full of mercy and grace that is a lie from hell this morning 
Listen to the word of the Lord. He is good. He is faithful. He is just. He is righteous. And anyone who seeks him finds mercy and grace and love and compassion. Run to the Lord and give him the honor that's due him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace this morning. I pray for the one in here in a storm today that's facing walls they cannot jump over. God, I pray that you would destroy walls. Father, I pray if someone's in here waiting on day three or day four or day five, they don't even know how many days this thing's going to take. They're walking with their finger over the mouth trying to do your instructions. They're walking, they're walking, they're walking. But all they can see is a wall, a wall, a wall. Father, I pray that you would give them the faith to hold out to the seventh day. God, I pray that walls would come down. I'm thankful that you press your people forward in Joshua's day. And you press your kingdom forward today. Have your will and your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.